Yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery, but today is a gift. It is not our abilities that show what we truly are. It is our choices. Hello and welcome to Jen Taylor Rerouting, where being rude is never acceptable, but sarcasm is welcome and swearing isn't always a bad option. Let's get started. All right. Hello and welcome to Jen Taylor Rerouting. Uh, I'm really happy today. This has been a a chore in the making, so we're going to have a lot of fun with it. Uh, I'm here with Latoya Shante Snell. Um, is her last name and you can find anything pretty much about LaToya on her website which is runningfatchef.com which is hilarious to me and LaToya was just recently featured in the uh, July 2017 women's running it's the body issue and her article and information was great which is why I, how I started cyberstalk her woohoo how are you LaToya <laughs> Okay. Now, where are you in the country? What state are you actually in? Oh, I am in New York. I am in Brooklyn, New York. Um, Okay, you are? Yes, yes. Okay. I wasn't sure. I knew you grew up in Brooklyn. So we're going to jump back to you kind of growing up. Tell me, um, I'm from New England also, from Rhode Island. So, woot. Yep. The girls on the street in the hood. That's us, kind of, I think. So tell me about what, what it was like. You were an 80s baby growing up in Brooklyn. Yes. Oh, 80s baby growing up in Brooklyn. Oh, man. Um, so many things have changed um, over the last, well, I've been here for, what, 32 years of my life? I have to think about that. Um, so many things have changed over the years. Um, I've watched the area that I'm at. I literally grew up in three different parts of Brooklyn. So there's um, Bed-Stuy, which a lot of people know of Bedford-Stuyvesant because of the rap lyrics and, you know, um, history of Christopher Wallace, whatever. But the areas that I also grew up in were East New York, um, right along with Crown Heights. And growing up as an 80s kid was very interesting. You know, compared to now, I think that in comparison to then and now, I think that we, as adults, project these fears onto our children a little bit more then when I was uh, as an 80s kid, because I was used to being able to go to the store by myself by the time I was like seven or eight, you know, my dad would give me instructions and he'd say, okay, don't go from this side to this end. And then, you know, it was understood. Don't get me wrong. You know, as a kid, you know, you, you kind of, you know, forget a couple of things accidentally on purpose. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did. <laughs> but, you know, I think that, you know, now as I am a parent, um, I think that some of the things that we saw is in a sense, almost like we went through a sense of shock. And in turn, we translate those fears onto this generation in a sense. And I find myself even doing that where I don't trust my son to do simple things like going to the store or going to the park on his own without, you know, me actually staring at him like a hawk, you know, because we, we live in the age of technology and, with that technology, unfortunately, comes with a, a different sort of responsibility where um, we're made aware of the crimes and stuff. And not that we were like oblivious to it before, but it's like a different set of crime now that's happened that we almost are kind of shielding our kids from a childhood that, you know, we had that they're honestly not going to get. And with these things that's kind of growing, 
we're really, I, I think that they're kind of missing out on some of the stuff that we had the opportunity to have. I totally agree. I completely agree. And it is a different world now. I mean, the things that you and I, well, I was a, I was a child of the 70s. I was born in 70. And the things that we were able to do freely without even thought, our kids would never be able to do the same way, which is hard. Yeah. And part, I know, I mean, parts of everywhere are rough and that's the same in Brooklyn. Yes. So tell me, um, what, what was it like? Are you the only child? What were your parents oh. like? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I came from a very um, colorful family. Um, I'm, I'm actually the oldest of um, two, at least on my mom's side. Um, you know, this um, dad was a, um, an interesting character. Yeah. Dad <laughs> 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 kind of planted his seeds um, a couple of places before he actually made it to mom. And, um, you know, I do have, from what I do understand, I do have um, brothers and possibly sisters out there. Um, and who knows, maybe with all these features, maybe one of them will actually find me along the way. But from what I understand, um, I am the oldest of, um, I'm oldest of just pretty much my, my little sister and I. And I was born in 85. And childhood was a mixture of rough and I want to say humbling. Um, to be very honest. There's a lot of things as an adult, I kind of chuckle at, but I don't, it's not like one of those good chuckles. It's like a, a thankful for being here that you actually made it. Um, when I usually tell people the story, they're like, oh my God, I can't laugh at that. You know, but for me, you know, you, sometimes I think it's almost like I take on the, the aspect of the way that comedians take on their lives. It's like sometimes the best jokes are the ones that you can't make up or the ones that you actually live out or you actually sing for yourself. So for me, a lot of the stuff is like, oh my God, you know, it was hilarious, you know, and then there's some aspects of things that I did go through where I'm just like, mm, I could have lived without that. But so um, give, give, me, give me a couple examples. Oh man. Um, so pretty much I was born into the 80s era. And as we all know, this was a time where the crack epidemic was really hitting hard. Around this time, there was uh, either people were unaware about HIV and AIDS and how that worked. And then you had the crack epidemic that hit into areas like Brooklyn, um, where I was at. And unfortunately, my father was pretty much one of those people who got hit with the, the taste of drugs. Um, so for as long as I can remember, my dad was on drugs until almost the day that he died. Um, and he tried getting off of it a couple of times. You know, um, I, I, what I do pride in my dad in is one, regardless of the drug addiction, he was always there. He was always there. Um, two, he instilled the best morals in me, but at the same token, he was literally my worst and best role model to be very blunt. You know, sometimes you learn um, through others' mistakes and in ways that I think that he didn't think that he was actually harming other, you know, other people. I think he looked at it as he was just self-harming. But, you know, realistically, when you have to grow up in the house and you're looking at your dad go through these changes, you're all grieving as a family. You know, you're not, it's not just one person that's taking on that aspect. And that's something that I remember all the way up until... I moved out when I was about 17 and a half because I was the rebellious child. My sister was more of the slim, like the straight laced. I go to school. I was the one that 
cut school once I hit high school. You couldn't tell me nothing. You know, I ran around with a little posse. I beat up kids. You know, if I didn't, you know, I, I was one. Of, <laughs> it was just so, like, I mean, but the last thing that anyone could have told me was that I would be where I am right now because there were so many things that I experienced as a kid from growing up with, you know, with days that we weren't sure we was going to eat. You know, my mom, you know, she worked every day pretty much. Um, and, you know, she recently retired. Um, my mom was working. My, my dad, you know, mostly, most of the things that he did was he had us walking around. Like, well, I can't even say so much of us. Like my dad and I had like this um, thing where every Saturday we used to visit my old neighborhood. This is once we moved from, um, I want to say it was like borderline Bushwick. Anyone that's from New York City or aware of New York City, they kind of like aware of some of the areas that I'm kind of speaking of. But I moved from a borderline Bushwick area um, where once we had got evicted when I was around, I want to say four or five um, from East New York from a private house. We ended up moving in with my grandmother and we stayed there even after my grandmother had passed. Um, and I had a hang up from my grandmother's passing um, because she passed away on my birthday, on my fifth birthday. And for some reason, and my kid, you know, my child like mine, I thought I was the reason that my grandmother passed away. And I held on to that, you know, and pretty much um, we stayed there pretty much in the senior citizen building for until I was about seven. And then we ended up moving over to Crown Heights. And it was like such a culture shock for me because I was so used to the old school that I went to where everybody was super respectful and none of the kids cursed. And then all of a sudden I went to the school, um, this PS335, Gravel T. Woods. Um, and all these kids are like dropping shit bombs. And I was like, hold up, like we're in second grade. And like, you know, like they got Mal's arm the size of Texas. I'm like, what's, go what's going on here? <laughs> but, you know, at that time, you know, people kind of put on this facade, like they were doing so much better than what they actually were. At least that was my reality. And in turn, there were times that I kind of followed that same tune. The thing with my father was, he was like, you don't fake the fault for nobody you know, be proud of who you are as a person and the person that you're going to become. And you have the, you know, just because you live in a certain area where it may be stricken with poverty, it doesn't mean that you have to succumb to it or succumb to a certain type of stereotype. So while he had his personal demon, he always dropped these jewels on us. And it kind of bothered me, even now after his passing, because um, he passed away um, in 2009. It bothers me so much that a man that was so wise would damage himself so much and just couldn't take his own advice. And in turn, after he passed, when I started going through my, I want to say that I kind of like, I want to say that I went through my dark moment. I always reflected back to that moment of what got me through some of these moments. And I think sometimes it's his words. Which is amazing, especially considering he was a drug addict. and yeah. I mean, that's such a contradiction. Yeah. Now, now then you, you got a little bit older and poverty in New England, I mean, poverty is poverty everywhere, but, um, you know, New England's just a unique place. And unless you've been there or from there, I don't know how exactly to describe it, but the streets of New England aren't a fun place to be and being hungry isn't a fun thing to go through when you're growing up. Yeah. Um, and so then you hit your teenage years 
And then like all of us, you've described, you know, then that's when body image starts and fitting in oh. starts and being normal starts and feeling awkward. Yes. So tell me about your experience with that. <laughs> I had a big head, small body. I was a bobblehead. It's <laughs> like the complete opposite of what I am right now. Like you couldn't have told me when I was in high school that I would be that I would have ever hit close to 300 pounds, you know, at one point in my life. Like that was just, it was such an oxymoron. When I was growing up, I had girls, like at least here in New York, um, in New York City. Um, and I, and I want to say closer to when it comes to the African American community, especially during those times, it was like, oh, okay, you have to have hips and you have to have like these big boobs and your know, waist has to be like, you know, like what we would call snatch. Like it has to be in, it has to be a Coca-Cola bottle shape because this is what was the epitome of that time. That was the, that's how you had to look. This is how you got boys to actually be attracted to you. And here I was, I was like, okay, you know, if at the time I, you know, I heavily was, I was into religion at that time. And I was like, okay, it's like God just, you know, passed on the torch to everybody else and said, not you today, my child. And skipped over me and said, no, I'm going to give you these itty bitty titties, which is like, oh gosh, it had to be a 32 double A. I had this really flat boyish kind of like frame. My husband would say otherwise. Um, I, and pretty much I had these small hips, which now as an adult, I don't see it as a bad thing. I think that you have to embrace whatever body type that you've been given. Um, but at the time I just kept thinking like, why am I built like a boy? You know, like, <laughs> I'm built like a, like, you know, a hormonal teenage little boy that's, you know, still waiting for the transitioning period. And I'm like, what's going on? Like, you know, and these kids were relentless because they would remind me of how skinny I was, you know, I'm, and because I was, I was such a tough like personality, like, I mean, people thought I was cool, but the same token, they was like, no, Latoya's kind of crazy. You say the wrong thing to her and she's probably going to pick you up, flip you upside down, put you inside of a garbage can. Because that was the type of person that people were used to. They were used to me being the comic relief. And I found some type of escape through making jokes about my life or something bad that I saw, that that was my way of coping in a sense. But, Especially um, through those yeah. awkward times. Oh yeah. The, oh yeah. I hear yeah. that. Yeah, the class clown. Yeah. You, it's like, you know, in a sense, like you, you become the class clown so you won't be targeted in a sense. But at the same token, it was like after a certain point, I was just like, I don't even want to go to school, you know, because it was either I was, wasn't skinny. I was, I was skinny, but then I couldn't attract boys. And that, and the thing is, I didn't really care so much about the boys too much at that point. The problem was being targeted by the bigger girls that would, you know, give me shit because, you know, oh, you think you're better than me because you're smaller. I didn't ask to be this way. Or I'll get the adults because the older generation, oh my gosh, like they're just, they don't know what a sensor button is. You know, and I think that's where my mouth kind of comes from as well, because now I'm getting it as an adult that you just stop caring about what people think, even though you should have some type of compassion. Um, they would say things like, girl, do you even eat? And I would, you know, in my head, I'm like, you really need to sit down at the table and see how much food I can really put down. And it was just like the constant poking and the prodding and the, you know, when are you going to get breasts? And, you know, I had friends that suggested that I put toilet tissue 
and my boobs, you know, I, I, I refused. I was just like, no, you know, well, my mom has, you know, full breasts, you know, she has hips. She didn't have a booty. You know, uh, my mom ever hears this podcast. I'm sorry. You don't have a <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> but, you know, it was just this, like, you know, I hate to say kids are cruel and you know, you think that you're going to escape that as an adult and not in this age, maybe before, but now it's just like, you have the internet to remind you, you have, you, you have um, Photoshop. And I mean, I'm a photographer outside of this. I'm a freelance photographer um, outside of this. So I see what somebody looks like before and I can see what they possibly can look like after if you decide to take it there. And thankfully my husband and I, we don't take it there with those photos, but oh my God, it's such a pseudo society that we're walking in where we're almost set up with these traps where we're idolizing certain people to look a certain way. And then when we see them in person, it's like, you're not what I expected. And that's kind of sad. It's very sad. And I wanted to ask you about the teenage years because it's interesting you get you get shamed for not having big enough boobs or a big enough ass or uh, you're too thin or you look like a boy and using humor to get through it, and then how that's going to transition as you've gotten older. So we'll get to that in a minute. Um, yes. I, know, I know that in, uh, in Brooklyn, and then women are just, and, and I'm not saying that men don't have issues, but for right now, we're going to talk about body issues with women. And then there's the sexual assaults. Yeah. Oh, with, right. So let's talk a little bit about that. You go from being not good enough in one way or another, the way your body looks as a teenager, mm -hmm. to, to then being sexually harassed. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, the, the, the sad part is um, I went through, um, the first time I ever went through sexual harassment, I was actually nine years old. Um, and I didn't know what it was until it actually happened. And... I used to escape my house in a sense, and I won't say escape, maybe that's like a harsh word, but um, I used to leave my, my house and I used to go to the library um, when I was about nine going on 10. And there was this older gentleman that used to see me almost every Saturday um, in the library. And, you know, my parents taught me stranger danger. You know, if the person looks a little off, don't, don't even bother engaging them in conversation. I knew how to, at that age, by the time I moved over into this new neighborhood, I already knew how to tell people, fuck you, bluntly. Say, hey, get the hell out of my face, yada, yada, yada. But for some reason, you know, I did not know exactly what a pedophile um, actually looked like um, until that day. And i met this guy and he's, he struck up a conversation because I guess he must've studied me enough. Like in hindsight and as an adult, I know exactly what he was. He was a predator. You know, he watched what kind of books that I was interested in. He would spark conversations, you know, um, you know, wow, what kind of poetry are you into? And, you know, oh, you're reading Maya Angelou. Oh, you're, you're reading, you know, you're reading about, you know, Pablo Neruda, you know, like, I mean, he literally studied me for months and, there was one particular day the library was closing and he would slowly inch himself closer to me every week. He, you know, he would say, Oh, you know, he'll ask me little things like, you know, tell me about your family. I wouldn't tell him those type of things, you know, because I still had it in my head that there is some sense of stranger danger. But one particular day I had to use the bathroom. The library was closing. The library attendant was really rude. She's like, listen, um, you have to go. 
you know, closing hours or closing times. And this guy offers to let me walk to his apartment so I can use the bathroom. And everything in me was screaming no, you know, but I was like, he's my friend. Because at this point, he's already saw me for a couple of months. He's talked to me every week. You know, he was never too intrusive. He never gave me like this bad vibe. But even though I still couldn't acknowledge that this is still a grown adult. And he never made any type of like indication of he was going to attack me. And by the time I got to, I would never forget it. um, The library was on Eastern Parkway. We couldn't have walked no more than three blocks. We got the stairs, we got to the fourth floor. And for some reason, Stranger Danger kicked in right then and there. And I was like, you know what? I think I need to go home. And he pushed me into the apartment. And you can't forget the smells. You can't forget the the things that you see, the fear that travels through you. And before I knew it, I, I didn't have to use the bathroom anymore. I just wanted to go home. I wanted to go home. And this was literally the first day of my provincial. I had on white pants and I had on a red top. And I got my first kiss that day. And it was the nastiest thing I could have ever experienced in my life. And um, you don't recover from things like that, you know? Um, And then he looked down, he tried to put his hands in between my legs. And then he said, he wiped his hands on me and said, you're a woman, I'll see you next week. And that was the only thing that saved me. And, you know, um, I don't remember actually getting home. Uh, I don't remember having a conversation with my mom. Uh, I remember pretending like everything was normal. They were so used to me going to the library on my own. And I just felt like this overwhelming feeling of embarrassment of, I knew better. I just kept saying to myself, I'm like, I knew better. Like, even though I'm, I'm nine years old, I knew better. I know not to go to some stranger's house. Maybe I put myself in this position. Maybe it was my fault. You know, did I do something that provoked him? You know, and I was like, why would he be attracted to me? I have this boy body, you know, and still at that time thinking, I'm like, I got this boy body. And I, I suppressed it in my head. And when I became a teenager, it was like some of those things came right back after, I want to, I hate to say it, I hate to admit that girls don't make it easy for you. Because if you don't have a certain amount of boys that's attracted to you, then they'll start name calling you too. Or they'll accuse you of being a lesbian or, you know, or whatever, you know, you, it goes down the list. And then I, I thought that as an adult, I'll have more of a control on it. And no, you trade it off for, you know, for maybe pedophiles or maybe you trade it off for boys being boys, you know, and I put air quotes around that, um, to being an adult where you feel like you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. And as an adult, I, I, I'm disgusted. Uh, I'm absolutely disgusted um, and not just, not, it's, it's almost indescribable in a sense of some of the things that I've had people say to me, even now, I mean, you know, even with my loud mouth, I get guys that tell me about my leggings. So, you know, me being a plus size woman, I'm walking around here, I'm 200 and right now, I think as of today, I'm 211 pounds, I'm five foot three and a half, I'm muscular. So guys kind of think twice now 
<laughs> about approaching me the wrong way. But at the same token, it does not stop the nasty harassment. And they don't look at this as harassment. They think they're giving you a compliment, especially when it comes to this level of society where you're being called a bitch and a hoe and a slut and everything else and a, and a rap song. Or, and even in your R&B, love songs aren't even love songs anymore. Um, and I get the, I'll get the, the, the small things where it's cat calls or your ass looks fat and, that, and on those leggings. And in the moment that you turn them down, it goes from what they call a compliment to, bitch, I was just trying to get pussy anyway, to, um, I was just trying to, you know, trying to, you know, get my dick wet to the, the vulgarity just increases and you're supposed to take it. It's like as if you're not supposed to respond to it. And if you don't respond to it, you have an audience that's yelling at you like, why didn't you defend yourself? But then if you do defend yourself, then you're a rude fat bitch or you're a rude, you know, you know women are not supposed to speak this way. It's like you, I can't say it enough. You are damned if you do and damned if you don't. And it gets to a point where you have to ask yourself, what's going to make me happy? What's going to make me content? So I, in turn, became the loudmouth that really don't care. Like, I, I will tell, if this is a certain day of the week where I feel like, hey, you know what, maybe this person needs to hear about themselves, I may not go about it the same way every time. But, you know, sometimes it might be as simple as, I don't appreciate that, I don't respect that, don't talk to me that way to me being the loud mouth that people know me on my blog for. I will literally <laughs> rip you a new one from A to Z and then make up some alphabets along the way to tell you how to kiss my ass. Uh, and we're gonna we're gonna get to your blog for sure. So <laughs> uh, um, I'm gonna say a word on the air that I never utter out loud as a matter of fact. It's almost exciting for me. Um, so now through all that, you got married, um, you got pregnant, you had some pregnancy complications. Yes. So, um, yeah. So talk to me a little bit about that, about the pregnancy issues, because we want to okay. talk about women's issues here, and we've, we've hit a lot of them so far. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so... I want to say after high school, um, I knew I had um, a couple of issues with the downstairs area. I like to call her my cookie. My cookie had a couple of issues. Um, <laughs> you know, the typical stuff, you know, I thought it was just PMS. You know, I was like, oh, okay, you know, well, um, I'm going to bloating. Um, typical stuff. But I know my mom at, had mentioned to me about what is a procedure that they don't really typically do these days. They call it um, DNC for sure. It's a dilution cottage. And basically it's something that happens with women where they accumulate too much blood clots and it causes pain and cramping. Um, I went through that from, uh, like I said, you know, earlier, pretty much um, I, what I thought now speaking to a therapist, I realized that, um, in hindsight, not even so much hindsight, but what I was diagnosed with, they said that I actually induced like a certain type of trauma that day. So thinking that I had actually had, it was my first day of my menstrual, it actually wasn't. It was something that I guess I had got to this level of fear that it actually brought down something that was like a mock period. My period, my actual period started again around 10 or 11. Um, and after that, uh, my mom found out I was sexually active when I was about 16. Um, yeah, and you can imagine the talk that went from there. And she's like, you're going to the doctor. And I'm like, all right, cool. You know, and um, they gave me birth control pills. And it was probably the start of a nightmare. Um, they said it was going to regulate me, it was going to get me a lot better. 
I can't tell you that I've had everything from pregnancy symptoms to nausea to um, to actually full-blown vomiting. And then I took myself off the pills, changed to a different brand, whatever. Um, from this point, I worked for the Department of Corrections. I got really stressed out working at that job. Um, shortly after leaving, um, I found out that I was actually um, I was actually pregnant and I miscarried. Um, and from there, it was almost like the song and dance of what it was going to be like for me to actually try to conceive and actually try to go full term. When I was ready to give up, because um, I think my husband was tired of me harassing him. Um, every week, like, hey, it's ovulation time. And he's like, no, I got a headache. You know, <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> and my doctor, and my doctor, you know, bless her heart. Like, she's, she's such a sweetheart. She was literally was like, okay, listen, you know, um, sperm takes a certain amount of time to rejuvenate. So you have to give him 48 to 72 hours to actually get his jimmies back up. And I'm like, okay. I, I gave up on it at this point. And next thing I knew, here goes my son. You know, it, um, I was like, I'm pregnant. You know, got the the army of pee, you know, pee sticks, you know, saying, hey, you're pregnant. You know, and I was like, all right, I'm happy. But at the same token, I already went through a series of miscarriages that I was terrified. I was like, I, I don't think I'm going to make it through it. They told me in my seventh week that I was diagnosed with placenta previa which is literally a condition that stops your um, child from actually coming out. So you literally can go through the entire pregnancy. It was like, I got the worst of the worst. I went through the entire pregnancy, literally bleeding as if I was still in my period. And I would rush to ER every 28 to 30 days. And on top of it, I wasn't exactly following directions the way I should have. They was like, hey, you can walk from one end of the house to the next end and the most walking that we want you to do your entire pregnancy is going to a doctor's office there's no exercising there's no sex which is like the worst to hear in your 20s there's no sex there's no you can't even have um personal time to yourself um to enjoy the cookie because it might stimulate you going into preterm labor and I got married underneath this <laughs> this umbrella I'm like hey great we can't even enjoy our honeymoon um and I would bleed every 28 to 30 days. Um, and at the end of the pregnancy, they said, hey, your condition is marginal, which means that there's a possibility that you can have a natural childbirth, but there's also a possibility that you'll have a C-section. Like, boom, um, water breaks or whatever. There's no opening for the baby to actually come out. Um, they're like, you know, I'm sorry to tell you, but, um, your water bag isn't completely broken. And I was like, well, damn, well, how many, you know, how many babies am I having? You know, like, what, what do you mean my water bags are completely broke? So they take this little latch hook and they break it. And at this point, they already pumped me with Pitocin for hours. I didn't feel anything until they broke the bag. Next thing I know, they're like, my doctor comes in the room. She came all the way from Maine after I threatened her on the phone on a voicemail message that you can't take a trip when I'm about to have this kid. You're the only person I want to have this kid. And thankfully, she has a good sense of humor or maybe this is an experience of dealing with neurotic moms. Um, <laughs> and she's like, I'm sorry, I'm gonna have to give you a C-section. Now, what we discussed earlier on um, was another issue that I had, which is a creta, which means that once they cut you open, you can bleed out. And 
at that time, you know, um, I'm not religious um, so much anymore. I'm more on a, I know it sounds cliche, but I'm more on the spiritual aspect of believing that there's something. I'm just not sure of what it is. And I basically just had a conversation with self and I was like, just let me just, let me see my kid for a couple of minutes. And that was the piece that I came to terms with. My husband was nervous um, and they gave me the C-section. I saw my child. I remember seeing him. He was eight pounds, 11 ounces. Um, oh gosh, 21 inches long. Um, and he looked like a little butterball and looked just like my dad. And next thing I knew, I was asleep. I was like, okay. I'm like, you know, it felt like I saw, it was like looking at things in slow motion. I can see them telling my husband that he had to leave the room. I can see my child going away. And I, I couldn't figure out what, what was going on. Um, I woke up and I was in pain. And I couldn't have been happier to be in pain in my life because I'm like, holy crap, I can feel something. That means I'm alive. And literally that's been the, that's been the song and dance for my, probably since my adulthood, you know, of if I can feel something, I'm alive. Even if it's pain, I'm still alive. I'm still here. But yeah, that's, that's how my, my wonderful child got here. <laughs> <laughs> and, and how old is he now? Oh, he's nine going on um, 90. Yeah, yeah. Well, they all are these yeah. days. It's something else. Yeah. So now, when did you hit? Now you've you've you were this scrawny little flat-chested girl, mm -hmm. and then you've you went to school for culinary. Yes, your blog is part running an athlete and part culinary. It's very cool. Um, people should really take a look at it. That's why it's the running fat chef. Yes, yes. Um, you're like you're like you. You're like a whole bunch of oxymorons going on. <laughs> <Like> this, <laughs> com complete contradiction. Yes. So what happened? Was your weight sort of um, spiked through the pregnancy? Was it, was it eating issues? When did that happen? Because your weight, uh, through the blog, through everything, the body image and the weight is an issue. Yes. Yeah. It was, uh, it was um, actually a mixture of, um, of everything. Um, my weight kicked up a little bit. Like I, I want to call it the happy love weight. You know, um, I started dating my, my, my husband in high school. We're high school sweethearts. Um, we started dating when I was 15 going on 16. We ended up moving in together at 17 and a half here um, because of a family issue that I was having at home. And in turn, I just never left. Um, somehow, you know, like almost like, you know, the girlfriend's type, Hey, you know, I'm going to bring over a couple of clothes. And then next thing you know, the clothes turns into a whole dresser and the dresser turns into half of your room and she, she never goes home, you know? So that, that's essentially what happened here. Um, but, um, the weight slowly, I, I gained a little bit of weight over time, but it was still manageable. Like I was actually at a point where I was like, hey, boobs are coming in. I got a little bit of hips, you know? Um, so I'm at this happy weight. I'm at a size six at this point. I think I had pushed like to a size eight um, after I had left out of corrections. And then the miscarriages kicked in. And I didn't realize at the time, and I hate to say it, like when it comes to people of color, sometimes we frown on the idea of looking for any type of mental health help, you know, because we don't want to be seen as crazy or weak or oh, you can't talk about that. And you always talk about the crazy uncle that you have in the family, but you don't want to be seen as that person. And in turn, I probably should have had some type of counseling, like after I had the miscarriage. Um, and 
I didn't. I pushed it off for a little bit, and I didn't really take it seriously until close to, um, I want to say, like, right in between that period from after the miscarriage and my son being born. I ended up going to an art therapist who was like, okay, I've already heard enough of your shit. Um, here's, some, here's some paint. <laughs> you're going to paint out whatever you're going through. And I was like, yeah, I don't paint. You know, I'm, I'm not an artist. And he's like, well, you're going to figure it out today. And he would basically break down everything that I would paint it, which actually made me a pretty decent artist after that. Um, <laughs> um, he started breaking down some of the colors and he started asking me questions. And I found that to be an easier approach than just sitting down on the figurative chair and just emptying out all of my burdens. Um, but yeah, the weight, the weight gain kicked in slowly from the miscarriages. And after I had my child, I was still eating like I was pregnant. Like, oh my God. Like, I was like, oh, don't worry about it. I'm like, they said that you have to have, what was it, an extra, it's technically only supposed to be an extra 300 calories during your pregnancy. And when you're breastfeeding, I took it to probably about 900, 1200 after pregnancy, surprisingly. I lost weight most of my pregnancy because they told me, hey, listen, you're overweight. We only want you to go on this gap of 15 to 25 pounds safely. I was at 18 at my highest, even though I looked like I was much more. End up losing all the weight and then I'm gaining way more weight after I had my son because I was eating on this postpartum depression. Um, next thing I knew, I went right back to my jokes. That's my comfort zone. Went back to these jokes, you know, like, oh, it's all right. You know, I'm the big girl, you know? So now I went from being skinny mini to the big girl. I'm like, hey, I got boobs. You know, I'm happy. But I, I really wasn't. I, I was so uncomfortable with this new body. I was like, I want my old body back. What happened? Can I bring my kid back to the hospital? I mean, like, this is the, <laughs> you know, like, these are the crazy things that ran across my brain. And the weight just kept climbing. I tried, um, oh gosh, I tried Slim Fast. I tried, um, I tried the, the three-day diet. I tried, um, I refused to try pills because I was too terrified because of my, I saw my dad with his drug addiction. And in turn, it's almost like a fear that I'm dealing with to this day where I actually eat my aspirins. Like I won't even swallow them. Like I'm just mentally, I have like a mental block where I'm just like, I can't. I, I, you know, I don't want to become this, you know, this, even though I know realistically it's a little irrational, it's like, it's, uh, it's almost like this stigma that kind of sticks in my head. Um, but yeah, the, the weight gain trickled along the years. And next thing I knew, I woke up and I stopped weighing myself at the 265 pounds. Um, and I laughed it off until the health issues kicked in. And my doctor was like, hey, you're not going to make it past six months at this rate. And I laughed until I couldn't laugh anymore. And then you decided, and now you said you're like five, three and a half. Yeah. So weight looks different on different people, yes. you know. So um, you hit that low of your health, your life being threatened again after pregnancies mm -hmm. to miscarriages. And, and you decided you were going to put a conscious effort in. Is this when the blog started to kick in? Oh, no. Um, the, the crazy part is um, it was literally in the height of my culinary career. Um, I went to culinary school and I was probably about 240, 250. And I kept getting sick the entire time in culinary school. Couldn't figure it out. Like I was known as the person that was able to pull out these like crazy grades and 
managed to miss like four or five days of class. They call it modules. And um, when you go to like a, um, or like not, it's like a trade school. So it was a year program. And literally you're required to, every month is considered a module. Um, and then you have your, um, your internship or externship is what they called it at my school. Um, and every month I couldn't figure out, I'm like, okay, I'm like, I'm going through like this, this loss of my, at my fingertips. Like I, my fingertips kept like swelling up and then all of a sudden I stopped losing sensation, um, on my right side. Then sometimes it will go to my left side and I'm like, okay, my right side feels kind of wonky. I had, you know, sometimes I had flu symptoms. Sometimes I'm tired and fatigued. Um, I'll, I'll go from this happy moment to, oh my God, I need to go to sleep. But I was still trying to push through through culinary school. I had all the warning signs that my health was going to shit. And I kept disregarding it in culinary school. And I had this opportunity to um, work alongside, um, her name is Chef L. Simone Scott. Um, she actually has a program on PBS um, called American Test Kitchen. And before she actually got to this point, she, had, she was working at Food Network and she's like, hey, um, you do food photography. You want to come on, you know, come on site? And I'm excited at this point. I'm like, fuck yeah. Like, you know, it's Food Network, you know? Like, I've been dreaming about this place, like, since forever. You know, this was the height of Emerald and, you know, Rachel Ray. So I went there and I had the opportunity. And it was just, like, every opportunity was just lining these ducks in a row and just being thrown at me. Um, I started working at Restaurant Associates. I went to work one day. Um, in the middle of a joke, I bent over. I was taking a pan out the, um, the oven. Next thing I know, my back goes out. And they're like, what's going on? And I'm, you know, and, you know, the guy, like, he had a little bit of a language barrier. He's like, what's going on, chef? And I'm like, I don't know. And he's like, what's, and he's like, where are you feeling pain at? And I'm like, I can't tell you. And he's like, just tell me. And I'm like, it's in the crack of my ass. And you know, he's, he's trying not to laugh. And I took it as maybe this is going to be two weeks of vacation off of work. This turned out to be a year a little bit over a year of my life of not being able to sweep, not being able to mop, not being able to cook, practically not being able to do anything of my own and taking that away from a person strips them to a point where you can't laugh at it anymore. I, I, I got to, I'll never forget it. It was May 27th, 2013. I woke up one morning, I looked in the mirror, I laughed, and then I couldn't laugh anymore because I was like, oh, there's no neck. And that was, that was my wake up call. I was like, I don't have a neck anymore. You know, um, I'm, I'm one of the people that I tend to laugh. And, you know, like, I mean, I hate to say it, fat people sometimes laugh out of fat people, you know, and I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, well, at least I'm not that fat because I at least have my neck. Oh, I'm not that fat because I don't have three rolls of stomachs versus the four. You know, um, it, it's, I, I couldn't laugh at it anymore it, it was just painful and I went on Instagram and I saw this girl with her um I didn't know at the time she had beach body products that she was selling and I'm like here I got the Sean T collection collecting dust in the corner and the P90X that I bootleg um you know, that I'm never going to touch and she's like all you got to do is just start from somewhere I never met this woman a day in, in all my life and she just gave me every ounce of motivation and she asked me five questions and those were the things that kind of started this journey. The blog came along because I was documenting my entire weight loss through Facebook and Instagram. And I was letting people, them, she, she suggested to me that you have such a big social network. Um, all these people are, you know, supporting you and, you know, they're watching you. Why don't you use these people passively as accountability buddies? 
And I was like, all right, cool. I'll take pictures or whatever. You know, um, I did the big girl thing. I took pictures of the upper half at first. I didn't want to take a full body picture. My husband took a full body picture of me that I kept for myself that I thought I would never share with anyone. And for some reason, it clicked in. And I, I was just like, all right, regardless of how hard this feels, even if I only can do 10 minutes, I'm going to be consistent. Um, it wasn't overnight. I said, okay, this week I'm going to take away the Kit Kat. This week, I'm going to take away the soda. Next week, I'm going to take away this. Um, the blog came about because people kept nagging me with this whole thing of, you tell all these crazy stories. You're always making people laugh. Why don't you just write this out? You need to write your own, your own book. It's like, you know, it's like, you know your, your, your life is very inspiring. At this point, I already hit Red Book Magazine um, for losing, oh gosh, I think at the time I had lost 80 pounds. I went from... 265 to pretty much like 185 um, within a matter of less than a year. Um, and I wasn't even thinking about marathons. I wasn't thinking about running or whatever as serious as I was. I literally took on being a runner as a, as a it, was a, it was a dare, <laughs> you know, from a friend that I haven't met, you know, in person. And I was like, okay, you know, well, if he signed up for a half marathon, I can do it too. And next thing I knew, the blog came about and it's been less than a year and I'm overwhelmed with the response that I get to it. Um, I'm thankful. I'm humble. It depresses me to hear some of the stories um, because you, you think that you're alone and you realize how much you're not. And then you hear some of these things that's just far worse than you ever can imagine. And then I get the trolls and then I'm really thankful for them. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes, we're going to talk a little bit about that one for sure. But it's interesting how you were just you were just doing your journey because you needed to do this. You needed to do something because your health was at risk. Yeah. You have a child, you have a marriage, and not having any clue that it would motivate or inspire other people, just wanting to be accountable to yourself. Yeah. But then your shift into your uncertainty and doubt and into becoming who you really are. And you're right. I mean, most of us start running on a dare. Amen to that. Whoop. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then you go through in the fitness, you don't realize, I don't think when you start the journey that it's an emotional transformation, maybe probably yes. more than the physical mm -hmm. and the physical, the physical with you. I mean, it's been a huge journey. Yes. Um, and then, uh, okay, so then we're going to, I want to, so I want to, okay, wait, wait, wait. So then, <laughs> so then you're in the, I want, I want to talk about this because I'm the five foot eight, blonde hair, blue eyed, you know, 36, 26, 36. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> now I, I didn't ask for that body either, but yeah. I, I have fought to keep it. Yeah. Um, you don't wake up one day when you're born with this, this beautiful body that you get to keep. Um, I went through infertility and seven pregnancies and, uh, you know, we, we all have our own story, right? Yeah. And so um, I'm coming from the girl who, not right now maybe, but for most of my life looked like I was in a fitness magazine. Gotcha. Okay. So I want to have that perception, I want, because people can't see us and they don't know, Latoya, that you're black. Yes. Like <laughs> <laughs> but okay so you're like the five foot three 
black woman, sassy attitude. um, And I'm like the five foot eight. We are as polar opposite as you can get. And that's why I want to bring this up. I'm not bringing it up. We are just who we are and we love it. So you're in the body issue of women's running. And you're talking about what you call backhanded compliments. And I can't tell you how much this pisses me off. Because like you said, the catcalling, the men, the, 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 the what's the worst? Uh, men can catcall. That's fine. They can yeah, be assholes and that's exactly. fine. Whatever, right? But when women attack women, I have zero respect for that shit. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. So let's talk about, uh, like, let's talk about some of this. I'm going to quote some of this magazine. Okay. You're saying uh, you're walking down the block and you realize it's another woman making mooing noises or commenting on what made you, quote, walk out of the house like that, unquote. Yes. And, um, wow, I can't believe you can actually jump that high when you're working out at the gym because, yes. what, like, your fat ass can't get up that high? Exactly. I don't understand. <laughs> and, and it's those same backhanded compliments um, that uh, you heard when you were younger and they were saying you were too skinny. Like yeah. we can't, you can't get it right. It doesn't yeah. matter. And uh, when you have kids that you're raising, you realize that generationally that's something that doesn't change. Mm-hmm. So you and I could be at the same little conference, right? It could even be a fitness conference, yeah. which would be worse. Yeah. Oh, uh, and there could be a buffet with, with donuts. And I've had women say, well, looks like you could eat all of them. Oh, I would never mm-hmm. look at that woman and go, well, looks like you already did. Yeah. Right? Because that would be a horrible thing for me yeah. to say. Oh, but if, yes. But God, it's those backhanded compliments. Like here you are in the gym working your ass off trying to better yourself. Yep. And they're there to put you down. Yeah. And you are damned if you damned if you if you win and damned if you lose. I mean, it's 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 disgusting. I mean, and the thing is, don't get me wrong. And I don't I don't want to sound appreciative of what I call the plus size movement. I am not. I, I I definitely I encourage it, but God, I am I cringe because I've been on the other side. I know what it is to be super skinny or the stereotypical um, version of fit to being the the shamu of of the crowd or the oh hey you know that's the funny fat friend you know I, I know what all of those layers feel like so it pisses me across the board it pisses me off across the board when I hear it come especially when it comes from women um, it's it's disgusting um, don't get me wrong there's guys that go out there and do it but it's like when you hear it from another woman it's like damn, don't we get enough from guys and now you're going to go help. And then the, the part that, that kills me is sometimes this comes from other women who are going through the same struggle. So who the hell are you to criticize me on my journey when I'm actually trying to change certain aspects of my life to make me happy? Because I'm, I'm, I'm at a point where right now, I'm really not looking to lose too much more weight. Like I got to the point where I actually hit my fitness goal and I hated it. I absolutely hated the size that I got to. Not because, oh my God, I, I'm I'm having this, you know, this adjustment of, you know, adjustment period that I got to get to. It was just like, um, I, I'm I'm not used to this. I'm, you know, physically, um, I know I'm able to do certain things, but like when it came down to it, I almost pushed out the aspect of feeling beautiful, and I looked at it completely as health. And I was like, you know, health also, mental also comes into the play when it comes to this. You have to be able to look at your reflection and feel good too. And I just wasn't happy with losing all the weight. So I was like, all right, I want to gain a little bit more of the weight. Now I gained a little bit more than I asked for, but (laughs) you know, this is all something that's a work in progress. You have to look at this as a lifestyle, but it pisses me off 
on both ends where plus size people feel like it's okay to make these skinny bitch jokes. You know, it, it, it irks my soul because it almost makes it seem like these people don't feel anything either. You know, like when, you, when you're going out there and you're saying certain things, you know, you don't know how somebody metabolizes. You don't know what they're doing. You don't know if this person has an eating disorder. You don't know if they have nothing wrong with them at all. And this hell, this is just the way that their body works. I, I you know, assumptions makes the ass out of you, not me. You know, so to, to go out there and criticize somebody because they're walking and speaking in their own truth is just deplorable. It's nothing short but deplorable to me. It is. And I, I and I, I love that you address you address this a lot. And in your blog, your blog tagline says, I'm fit, I'm fat, I'm an athlete. And one thing that I love about running is that when we're all at the start line, you can tell usually that five percent of people that are gonna be walking in super slow. And yes. you can tell <laughs> you right, okay. Yes. And there's and there's nothing wrong with that because they're yes. there at the start line. So shut yes. the hell up. Exactly. And you can tell usually the 5% of the elite runners that are going to kick everybody's ass. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know it. <laughs> but there's 90% of us that you have no idea, no idea how fast we're going to be or what our endurance level. And you, can't, you cannot look at the start line and judge other runners because you're going to get your ass beat by someone you looked at and you thought, oh, I got her. I am bringing her, and she is going to kick your ass. You can't tell, and I love it because it kind of evens the playing field. Um, It doesn't matter what we look like. It doesn't matter who we are, where we came from, or what our story is. We are all equal at that start line, and and we're all starting it, and unless barring some unusual complication, we're all finishing it too, and I love that about the running community because it's the one place where, as a female runner, I'm going to hug you and high five you regardless of your time or your mm-hmm. distance or your weight or where you're at in your journey. Um, and so it's a good place to be uh, where you have the least amount of trollers trolling. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. Because really, we all just love that we're all there and uh, we do really want to hug each other. So I'm going to talk about the trollers, though, because you wait. Oh, um, I ha- yes. oh baby. Yeah, mm-hmm. so, <laughs> now, one of the things that you do is you troll the trolls. Oh, yes. I love it. <laughs> I'm thinking about giving them their own little column. Like, it, it just, <laughs> I mean, I get so much of it. I mean, it's been slowing down with the because of the media stuff, you know, and I kind of miss them sometimes. Um, you know, if it, if it will take it away from, like, five other people from being hurt or if it will actually empower someone um, uh-oh. Right. I mean, no, you're good. We're good. Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, so the trollers, you've what to date? You've had what? 133 hate mails. Yes, 133. In less than a year. In less than a year. So here you are with your own story. Nobody. Well, today people will know more about the backstory because uh, you know I didn't. I wanted to get stuff we didn't know. So there's this whole yes. backstory of growing up with an addict father in Brooklyn at poverty level, and um, all the miscarriages and the female issues that a lot of us have experienced that we, as women we really don't talk about. Yes. Um, and then the weight gain and why that happened, and the health issues, and the and you potentially losing your life over it. Yeah. And then there you stand with this blog, putting it out there, really just like, here I am, I'm beautiful, I'm black, by the way. Um, (laughs) (laughs) 
And then you get letters and you call them love letters when yes. quote, you're one ugly nigger unquote. Yes. That's yeah. a word I don't think I've ever said out loud. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that is, uh, oh man, I, I love them. <laughs> I love every single last one of them. Cause I, I get the, I think that, you know, cause some people are like, you know, why do you respond to them? Why would you bother responding to trolls? And I'm like, you know, sometimes I think trolls are looking for their own way too. Some of them are not looking for a lesson. You know, some of them are just really just going out there to troll. They're, you know, they're looking to just go out there and say, nanny, nanny, boo-boo, you're fat. Mm, okay, and so is your mama. You know, but, you know, and that's, sometimes that's my response. But, you know, I take a different approach. The ones that I do choose to respond to, um, I take a different approach almost every time. Um, most times I'm looking to stimulate the conversation of what got you here. You know, you say that I'm not important, yet you put your energy out there. So obviously something that I did struck a nerve, whether it meant that maybe I did something that you wanted to do, that you just not, you're not bold enough, which I had, I had trolls that actually have responded back, or I've had ones that have gone back and forth from online with me, um, drew my, what was it, one of my features through, oh gosh, BuzzFeed, the BuzzFeed feature, literally, um, there was someone who commented on the video and was calling all of us Shamu and she, you must eat 4,000 calories a day. And I decided I'm going to go back on here and I'm going to troll this shit out of you. And, um, and I was like, oh, you know, I was like, well, all the food comes from your mom's house, you know? So, um, you know, maybe if you tell her to stop cooking, then maybe I can stop gaining all this weight. And it literally, don't get me wrong. It starts off at first as it may seem very vicious to some people, like, oh my God, how could you, you know, go back out there, you know, hate and hate is not going to, you know, solve anything. Sometimes you have to go to that level of petty just to actually get some type of answer. The thing is, you can choose to keep going and it's not going to solve anything. The, for me, I kind of have in my head, okay, you know, I'm going to get your attention. The same way you got my attention, I'm going to get your attention just as worse. Now I'm going to see if you actually like your taste in medicine. Now that you have, now that I have your attention, now I can ask you some legitimate questions. What made you come here? Why did you, what was your intention? Do you have a problem with me or do you have a problem with this type of audience? Is there something that, do you have a problem with women? Do you have a problem with, you know, people in general? Do you hate yourself? Maybe there's something within yourself as a reflection that I'm showing you that you are just not ready to actually come in terms with. Maybe you're trying to lose weight and you just, you know, these things haven't worked for you and you feel like, you know, well, fuck all the people that actually did work for them. You know, um, why do you feel happy being plus size? Maybe you're caught up with the conundrum of, but, you know, Google told me that the only way that you're healthy is if you fit this size, this shape, and the outdated BMI that I've been told all of my life. You know, and those are sometimes the hardest ones to get through. The ones that kind of hit me with the quote-unquote, and I do air quotes a lot, um, the facts, where they'll tell me, oh, well, according to this website, this, this, and this, and this, and this, you know, um, you're overweight, so it means that you're going to die. Or the ones that tell me that they need to give me tough love when you know nothing about my health history and how everybody works differently. What works for me will never work for you. Um, these are the things, these are, this is part of the reason why I troll trolls because one, I want, now that I do have an audience and a following and I got to a point where it took me three years to embrace it, um, to get to a point where I was okay with people looking at my journey and actually saying you're an inspiration. Cause I had, I had hangups off of it. I'm like, I'm not an inspiration. I'm just doing this for myself. And, 
you know, sometimes I, I got to a point where I, I heard a quote, and I can't remember where it's from. They say sometimes leaders are, are um, people, leaders don't ask to be leaders, leaders are chosen. And if that is what I am becoming, in a sense, I'm going to embrace it and I'm going to use it to the best of my ability. So sometimes I troll trolls. And this opens up a platform where we have a level of com conversation where people don't even realize they're being trolls. Sometimes people think that they're actually going out there with the best of intentions by offering unwanted advice um, at any size or any gender. You know, um, oh, well, you know, I'm just looking out for your health. How can you look out for my health if you don't understand it? Are you diagnosed to help me with my health? Do you understand that maybe my issues are not so much with the fat deposits that exist on my skin, but maybe the mental block that's actually existing there? You know, um, you know, did this come from a long line of hurt? Did this come from, from family issues? Maybe I don't have health issues. Maybe I just like being lazy. But then you have to question why. You know, do you, did you get to this point of a, a low within yourself? And these are the things that I look to accomplish when I actually troll trolls these days. Sometimes I get the, the, the love letters, you know, that comes where they, they can't think of anything, you know, um, to antagonize about my fat. Cause they get to a point where they realize like, I really don't care about being fat. Like the, 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 my, my blog is called running fat chef, which is supposed to be like this dirty word. Oh no, you can't be fat. Maybe you're fat because you eat all your products. But who gives a shit, you know, but, but they get to a point where they say, okay, well now I'm gonna attack your race. You know, or I'm going to attack something about you being a female. Um, and I've, I've had those. You know, I'll have the ones that have the Wall Street Journal approach. And you have to know what to let hit you and what things to let fly. And I learned that through every troll message that comes through my inbox. And I'm pretty sure I'm going to get 200 more or 300 more or 600 more. And it's going to be ones that I'm not even going to see because sometimes I don't even Google search myself on websites to see what people say because I would be making myself sick. What I am confident is, is that I'm so much mentally, not, so I'm not even focusing on the physical, mentally, I'm a much better person for myself for my family, for my friends, and the people who I haven't even met yet, just because I got my mind together way before my body ever came back into play. Um, so, I mean, I, 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 to my trolls, I tell them, thank you and fuck you, you know, in the same breath, because you, you have to, you have to be able to follow instructions almost like the way that they tell you on an airplane. When you get on an airplane, they tell you, put the mask on yourself, and then put it on others to save them. And you have to be able to take that same philosophy in life to be able to help anybody else. If I'm gonna be this, uh, this thing that people are calling me an inspiration or you know, they, they admire what I can do or the things that I say, then I have to be able to continue living my own truth. And my own truth is to find my happy and embrace my happy and preserve my happy. And that means that sometimes that requires for me to curse a couple people out and call a bunch of motherfuckers, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, I think in a lot of these cases, they're starting it. So yes. on May 27th of 2017, you wrote, today officially marks four years of this fitness journey. On May 2007, 2013, I didn't know what my intentions would be or what my purpose was in life. Here I stand. Four years later, I still don't know my intentions or where I'm going, but I'm much more confident about my path. Yes. And I love that. So now you're pursuing multiple fitness certifications. Yes. 
while you're doing the freelance photography with your husband. And that website is esnelldesign.com. But you can find it through runningfatchef.com, which is easier to say. Yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> <I don't>... <laughs> oh, so <laughs> you're, you're pursuing, I mean, this was really life altering four years ago. And, and, I, and I do want to point out that the great thing is um, not that you are some perfect size or perfect anything you're perfect for who you are and that the emotional journey was the most important and you're still on it but you're in a really really good place physically and mentally yeah and uh if you want to troll uh (laughs) (laughs) well yeah except now i'm gonna beat them up too You, they're going to take us both on, but you know, I mean, it's great to stand behind the anonymity of social media where you can be protected and, um, but you will, you will find them and you will discuss things with them. And you know, that is, you're right. That is a great way to look at it actually to say thank you and fuck you, but to also keep that in check because we don't know each other's journey at all. Mm -hmm. But yours is super fun, so people need to find you on runningfatchef.com. And um, Latoya, thank you for being raw and sharing and talking about some of this stuff that's not always fun and easy to talk about because you're oh, no. pretty, you're a badass bitch in my eyes. <laughs> awesome, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening in to Jen Taylor Rerouting. Like, share, and of course, comment. I welcome input with attitude. Get a copy of my book on Amazon, Hello, My Name is Warrior Princess, or check out my website, jentaylor.net. And if you still want more, sign up for one of my coaching packages.